0: Well, hey, let me just do this. Let me welcome all of you that are with us for the very first time. If we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Merle. I serve as lead pastor here. We are so delighted that you are with us. If you are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. To my family that's in Bucharest, Romania, hello, wake up. Oh, you've already had Easter. Okay, I understand that. Okay, I need to wake up. To uh, all of you that are with us for the first time online, we'd love to hear from you. So would you let us know that you're here? Go to pleasantvalley.org slash info. Fill out the communications card and we'll we'll touch base with you as soon as we can. And then for those of you who are in the worship center, in the chapel, and in the overflow, you received a program when you came in. If you'll take some time to tear off the communication card, fill that in, and as you are uh, leaving, we'll give you an opportunity to turn those in. If this is your first time to ever be at one of our Easter services, we want you to know two things. First of all, this is perhaps the best day to give your life to Jesus Christ. This, this is a day to step across the line of faith. And toward the end of the service, we're going to help you know what you can do to take that step. And maybe some of you are going, listen, I have had people praying for me. I know they've been praying for me. My wife's been giving me information. My husband's been shoving books at me. I have had people like putting sticky notes in places and mailing me things, encouraging me to uh, step across the line of faith and trust my life to Christ. And so you're ready to do it, and so we're going to let you know what you can do to do that. And the second reason that we think this is the best day in the world to be in the church house because it has everything to do with something we all want and something we all do, and that is hope. Today is a great day to celebrate hope, and that's what we're going to do today. So I've got three questions I'm going to ask throughout the message, and these are not for you to answer out loud. These are just for you to reflect on for just a minute. So question number one is this, what are you hoping for? I mean, really? When you think about you entered into this building today, and if we are all hopers, Everybody has a hope of some kind. Maybe for a child, a child has a hope that they're eventually going to get that toy they've been bugging mom and dad about. Or maybe if it's a teen, a teen is hoping that if they're into sports that they make the team or they hope that their team wins, or maybe you're a single person and you hope someday to find that right soulmate for the rest of your life, or maybe you're married and you've, you've been hoping for a, a child, or maybe you have children and you're hoping they'll leave the house, and, or maybe, wow, that got more laughed than I thought, so, says a lot about you. We need to probably stop and pray right now. Maybe, maybe you came today and your relationship with someone is broken. And you came in today and you have this hope that one day that relationship could be mended. Or maybe you're here and you have a loved one that's getting ready to go into surgery. Or maybe you have been diagnosed and you've been given a diagnosis that is not anything that you ever dreamed you would hear. And you are hoping that the illness... And the surgery will end up being a success and that you will be healed of your illness. Hope is something that we all have. And hope is simply an expectation that is desired and that is possible. Biblical hope is not blind optimism. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not a positive mental attitude. Biblical hope is not a strong emotion that you feel on occasion that's really positive when life is really difficult. Hope, biblical hope is an essential tool to live life. And without hope, it's difficult to continue on. And so the question is, what are you hoping for? For a follower of Jesus, hope shines in the dark of the unknown. Hope reveals itself most powerfully in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of despair, in the midst of disillusionment. Hope for the follower of Jesus is an anchor, In the raging seas of chaos, hope is what helps you to stand when everything around you is trying to blow you down. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but hope is something that you never outgrow, is it? I mean, we outgrow a number of things, but we never outgrow hope. For instance, today, I'm the oldest that I have ever been. (laughs) Profound, I know. But hope is more real for me now than before. I remember last year, my Easter, I was coming off having had a heart attack. And hope for me has become more real ever since then. Age doesn't eliminate hope, it only elevates its value. So I ask you the easy question, what are you hoping for? Now let me probe a little bit deeper and ask you something to get at the very heart of your life, what is your hope based upon? What is your hope based upon? As you look toward the future, and you, you have an expectation of something that is not only desired, but something that is possible. When you anticipate that the best is yet to come, what are you basing that on? For a follower of Jesus, we look backwards in order to look forward. We have to look back at what has taken place historically, theologically, biblically in order to have hope for today and hope for tomorrow. For the Christian, our hope is based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel refers to an announcement. Our hope is based upon an announcement that is all about some good news. News is typically reported On something that has already taken place. So, this is what we say the hope that a follower has that's based on the good news isn't something that, like good advice about what we need to go do. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not good advice about how to get God on your side. The gospel is good news about the fact that God is already on your side. It's good news about what he has already done for you to bring you into relationship with himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a hope-fueled, gospel-saturated text. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you on this day, sometime this afternoon, to read the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, because it's all about hope Grounded in the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important. Paul is saying, listen, I couldn't tell you anything more important. And let me tell you this today. I can't tell you anything more important than what I'm about to tell you for the rest of our time together. For what I passed on to you as most important was what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelfth. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. How does the gospel offer hope? And then another question that I would ask you is this. Why in the world would you need the hope that the gospel has to offer? Now, my assumption is that there are a number of you that are listening to me today that are not yet convinced that you need Jesus and you need the gospel and you need hope. Well, let me tell you one reason why you need hope. Here it is you're broken. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. None of us measure up to God's perfect standard. And so, I know one thing that a great atheist said, the thing that I really appreciate most about you Christians is you have someone to forgive you. I have nobody to forgive me. And when you think about it, none of us have to be convinced of our brokenness, really. None of us have to be convinced that we don't live up to a perfect kind of standard. My question for you is what do you do with that? What do you do with the things that you have done in your life that you know were wrong, that other people know were wrong? Things that you have done, things that you have thought, things that you have intended and premeditated and you went out and did, that you know in your heart, they have the tinge of evil to them. What do you do with those kind of thoughts and feelings that come over you in the darkness of the night when you are reflecting on your life? What do you do with your sin? That's a great question to ask. The gospel offers us hope because Jesus died for our sins. We have hope because Jesus died for our sins. Look again at verse 3. I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now let me just take a time out right now. This is what I'm feeling inside. What I'm feeling inside is I'm talking to people who are thinking, I already know this. And the truth is, you do. And on Easter, people often ask, what are you going to preach on? And I go, duh. (laughs) I really don't have to pray and ask God, what's the topic for the day? The day is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? But here's the deal. We can become so familiar with it that it loses its wonder. And what I want to happen, what I pray will happen, is that I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to remind you of everything that you already know, but I want you to embrace. So that's what we need to do with this. Jesus' death is a matter of human history. Not much doubt about that. Folks don't doubt typically. Even scholars don't doubt the historicity of the person of Jesus Christ. There are reports that Jesus of Nazareth died historically, but his death wasn't just any kind of death. His death was a substitutionary death. Say that word with me, substitutionary. He died for our sins. The word for is not a toss away term. It's not a filler term. Scholar James Denny said, in that one word is the simplest word of faith, the deepest word of theology. Jesus died for our sins. I don't know what you think about Jesus. A lot of folks think that Jesus was a great hero. He was more than a great hero. Some people think he gave a great example of love, and yes, he did, but he did more than just be an example for us. Jesus' death was not a mere heroic sacrificial act nor an exemplary act of love. It means something so much more. Something happened when Jesus died for you and me. The Bible would use this term, he made atonement for our sins. In other words, his death on the cross makes us at one with God if we put our trust and our faith in him. We are separated from God. We are not at one with God. But the Bible is saying that Jesus' death for us makes us at one with him. So we say that the death of Jesus is the only hope for sinful people like us. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I tell you something? The greatest exchange that has ever been made in human history was right there. I used to think when I was a kid at school and I made an exchange of a peanut butter sandwich for a moon pie, that I made a great exchange. Some of you have no idea what a moon pie is. God help you. (laughs) You have not lived until you've had an RSC and a moon pie. Thank you very much great exchange. Christ received our punishment, and we received Jesus' righteousness. Here's the problem. The problem is this. None of us are righteous people. None of us are. Now, some of us are super self-righteous people trying to convince other people how righteous we are, how right we are, but none of us are righteous people. The Bible says that our righteousness, our sense of rightness, is like filthy rags compared to the perfection of God. The only people, though, that can enter into the presence of God and be at one with God are people who are perfectly righteous. And therein lies the problem that Jesus came to solve. We need somebody else's righteousness in order to be able to enter into God's presence. So by faith, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us we now can stand if you have faith in Jesus we can now stand perfectly accepted in God's sight because of Jesus death on our behalf the very right hear this the very righteousness that God requires is the very righteousness that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ that deserves an amen right there Let me say it again. The very righteousness that God requires of us is the very righteousness that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our substitute before God now. Because of Jesus, we can stand without condemnation. John Stott put it like this. Love this quote. He says, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Jesus died in our place, on our behalf, instead of us. This view of salvation is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. Other world religions say this is what you have to do in order to attain perfection. And Christianity says, this is what Jesus did in order to give you perfection. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Not I am finished. I finished everything that needs to be finished in order for you to have a right relationship with God. Now, the death of Jesus was not a surprise to God. God was not surprised that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. God was not surprised that the religious leaders wanted... Barabbas instead of Jesus to be released from prison. God was not surprised when the Romans beat Jesus nearly to death with a cat of nine tails. God was not surprised when Jesus had a crown of thorns beaten down on his head. God was not surprised when Jesus was stripped naked and mocked with a purple robe. God was not surprised when Jesus was nailed to a cross. God was not surprised when a spear was run up into Jesus' side. God was not surprised when Jesus breathed his last breath. It wasn't a last-minute Hail Mary with the final few seconds of humanity on the line. It wasn't God's desperate kind of attempt to problem-solve. God says through Paul, that Jesus died for our sins according to scriptures. That means it was part of God's plan. How do you know? Go back and read the Old Testament. That's what Paul is saying. Look in the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament have to say? The message of the Old Testament was pointing to this ultimate plan that God was going to send a Savior. God was going to send a Messiah. God was going to send the Deliverer to rescue us from our sin. For instance, The whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament pointed to the sacrifice of Christ as our substitute. The the day of atonement was also probably what Paul had in mind. And Paul most certainly had in mind the powerful prophetic words of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 53 in particular. And let me just say this. I know that I'm limited on the amount of time that I have because we have to get folks in and get folks out because this is going to be a crowded day, but I could not just give this reference and move on. I have to read it. I have to read this for us, and I'm just going to ask you, would you do this? Would you close your eyes for just a moment and listen to these words that Isaiah wrote about a suffering servant to come, which the first believers looked back at and said, this is a foretelling of Jesus. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his Appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Think about Jesus being beat almost to death by the Romans. He would not have been attractive to look at. You would want to turn your eyes away from him because it would be so traumatic to see this done to a human being. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. He died according to scriptures. He died to free you from the consequences of sin, which if you do not repent of them is eternal separation from God. He died in order to deliver you from sin's consequences and to deliver you and me right now from sin's control. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to say yes to every temptation. You don't have to give in. You don't have to cave. You can say no because Christ died for your sins. And not only do you have hope, because Christ died for your sins, you have hope because Jesus was raised to life. So let me ask you this question. Why should you even care about this? I'm speaking, speaking specifically to those of you who have not yet believed. Why should you care? Why should you care uh, about the historically verifiable eyewitness account that Jesus came back to life? Because of this reason. There are two things for certain in life. And it's not death and taxes. It's we are sinners and we will die. And my question is, do you have any hope beyond this life? Are you living only for right now? Is this all there is? Do you believe that only the good die young and you're trying to live as wildly as you can and experience as much as you possibly can? Because you think when you die, poof, that's it. There's nothing more. And if you believe that, let me just say I am, I'm sad that that's what you believe. Because there has to be more to life than just what we experience right now. Because this is so incredibly brief. Again, that was brought so clear to me last year on March the 19th. That life is so fragile and so, so... Brief, But you and I can have hope in this life and hope for a life to come because Jesus Christ came back to life. He was raised from the dead. Look at verse 4. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. There again Paul says that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are historical and they are biblical. Paul's probably thinking about Psalm sixteen ten, where David records that God would not allow his Holy One to see decay when he's referring to Jesus being raised according to the Scriptures. Paul says that Jesus was raised on what day? He was raised on the? He's raised on the third day. And this is an incredibly important term in the Bible. Jesus was raised on the third day. Can I give you a little bit of biblical background? You good with that? You still with me here? In the chapel, foyer, online, here we go. In the Old Testament, God is portrayed as the God of rescue, God of the God who hears, the God who cares, the God who acts. Very often, he would deliver his people. He would rescue his people. He would heal people on the third day. So this is a very pregnant day. For instance, Abraham was told, I want you to go up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice your one and only son. And he was afraid he was going to lose his son, Isaac, but he sees a sacrifice that God had provided for him instead. And when did he see that sacrifice, that lamb? He saw it on the third day. You read Genesis chapter 52, the brothers of Joseph were put in prison, but they were released on what day? They were released on the third day. In the second chapter of Joshua, the Israelite spies are told by Rahab to hide out, but they would be rescued on what day? The third day. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find Jesus himself speaking about a third day resurrection when he talks with his disciples. He talks about it 21 times. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. Listen, I can count, Merle, and... If Jesus was put to death on Friday and he came back to life on Sunday, that's not three days. Are you Christians really bad at math? Back in the Hebrew counting system, the Hebrew counting system was an inclusive system. They would count every day that was part of an event as a full day. So when Jesus said that he was going to be raised on the third day, he was not telling a lie. Jesus said... I'm going to be crucified, and then on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. And guess what? He did. He did. So uh, let me just ask you this Would you agree that when somebody predicts that they are going to be put to death and that they are going to come back to life, and they actually pull it off, we should go with that person? We should go with whatever they say? Do you know anybody else who has done this in history? No, there's nobody else who has done that. Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he knew by experience what it was like to have hope offered to him because of the risen Jesus. He says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. C.S. Lewis was a great atheist who became a follower of Jesus. In his book Miracles he says this, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the pioneer of life He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because Jesus has done so. Jesus Christ defeated death whenever he was raised back to life. And not only was Jesus raised from the dead on the third day, like he said, like the scripture said, but take it one step further. People actually saw him. He appeared. Look again at verses 5 through 8. He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, then the five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep like some of you had done while I'm preaching. (laughs) It's not true. Falling asleep is another way of saying they they died. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Cephas is another name for Peter. The twelve refers to the twelve original disciples. Only 11 of them saw the resurrected Jesus because Judas had taken his own life. And then, in the only place that you find a record of Jesus' post resurrection appearance to more than 500 people at one time. Now, why would Paul say that? Because it was true. He would say that because he didn't want people to think that Jesus just appeared as a ghost like, you know, Casper the ghost, some kind of disembodied thing, or that they were having a mass hallucination like they'd been doing shrooms or something like that. Many people testified that they saw Jesus at the same time, over 500 of them. Why do you even care? Paul wrote Corinthians about 23 years after Jesus' resurrection. So it's reasonable that the majority of those witnesses were still alive at the time. So any skeptical person could go and ask those individuals themselves, can you tell me what you saw? And then Paul adds that the risen Jesus appeared to James. Why did he include James? Well, we think that this is the brother of Jesus. And if you know anything about Jesus' brothers and sisters, they didn't believe that Jesus, before the resurrection, was Messiah, was the Deliverer, was the Lord. As a matter of fact, they went one time to try and pull him out because they thought he was out of his mind. But this James eventually became a follower of Jesus, and a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. And because he was so convinced that Jesus Christ, his brother, was crucified and that he was raised from the dead and that he was the promised Messiah, the deliverer, and the Lord God, he did not deny that. And eventually his history was this. He was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Who does that if this was just a myth, if this was just hearsay. Critical scholars agree that the entire enterprise of the early church's worship, their writings, and their witness would never have come about if Jesus' followers were not absolutely convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead and they hadn't seen him themselves. All right. Third question. Let's get personal. Is your hope in Jesus personal. Now, what I've tried to say is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is historically rooted, but the gospel is meant to be personally experienced today. Not just something that is recorded in a book, but something that is transformative in the lives of people who take the step of saying it's more than just mental assent that I can agree. I mean, this is what you Christians do. You get together and you celebrate Christmas and you celebrate Easter. I get the deal. I understand what it is that you say. But it's more than just giving a mental assent to it. It means that it has to become personal to you. Your hope and trust in Jesus, is it personal? Paul was reminding the Corinthians in verse 1, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken a stand. He's saying, you already made this personal. Some of them were struggling with the whole idea of what our resurrection bodies look like, and Paul was saying this. Listen, the resurrection, you get it. You You have believed In Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and you have received it. You have opened up your life. You have welcomed it in, and you have allowed it to have impact on your life, so much so that you're saying the foundation of our lives now, what we stand on, what keeps our lives solid in the ever-changing chaos of life, whenever there are all different kinds of truth claims, the things that we stand on is the gospel. We have taken it in personally. And when you receive the gospel of hope personally, it can't help but change your life. And so my question is, is it? Is he changing your life? Paul confessed this, 1 Corinthians 15 Last of all, verse 8, last of all as to one born at the wrong time he also appeared to me for I am least of the apostles not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. So follow my reasoning. If the gospel of hope, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus died for our sins, raised for our life if a guy like Paul, who was a Jesus hater, can become a Jesus lover. If a guy like Paul, who was a church killer, could become a church planter. If a guy like Paul, who took pride in his own self-righteousness, can become a man who says, I don't take pride in that, but I, I take great comfort in the grace of God if the gospel can change somebody like paul the gospel can change your life too Amen. there's nothing in your life that god through jesus christ cannot change that's the hope of easter second corinthians 5:17 if anyone is in christ he is a brand new creature the old is gone the new has come this is what happens when you become a follower of jesus you get a new life let me dispel some rumors Becoming a Christian isn't about you just become a nicer person. I hope to God you will. And if you're not, there's something wrong. But that's not the point of Christianity. And the point of Christianity isn't turn over a new leaf, make a new resolution. The point of Christianity is you became a new person. Everything inside of you changes. You get new affections in life. Think back when when you were a teenager, when you got your first girlfriend, all of a sudden, you got your first boyfriend, all of a sudden, your behavior changed, didn't it? Hello? I mean, it happened to me. I mean, I started thinking a whole lot more about hygiene. (laughs) I started thinking more about putting on clothes that were... Passed the sniff test before Febreze. (laughs) They were actually washed. I actually started ironing my clothes back then. I was so desperate to impress the ladies or the lady or anybody that would actually go out on a date with me. I washed my car. I practiced manners. There was a change in my life, new affections. When you become a follower of Jesus, so much more happens than that. You get a new want-to inside of you. There's a new desire that is born inside of you. You begin to have a focus in your life that is like a laser that you want to love God and you want to love other people. The gospel changes because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. It's available to everybody. Every race, every age is invited to respond. The deal is this. There's no salvation outside of Jesus. He's the only one who conquered sin. He's the only one who conquered death. He is the narrow door. He is the only door into life with God. So let me ask you the question, have you taken the step to put your hope and your faith and your trust in him? And if you have not, can you tell me why in the world you wouldn't want to when you can have forgiveness of sin and you can have hope in this life and in the life to come? And this is what I'm going to invite you to do. You received a program when you came in. Would you grab that real quick? If everybody will grab it, whether you're in the uh, worship center, whether you're in the chapel, whether you're in the overflow, if you'll grab that, there is a communication card. And there are some steps that you can take. If you are ready this day to step across the line of faith, admit that you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins and give you the promise of new life, the simple thing that you do is you simply acknowledge that and say, Jesus, I admit that I am broken. I can't fix myself. I'm trusting your death, burial, and resurrection for my forgiveness and to make me at one with God. And today is the day that I finally say yes, and I'm stepping across the line of faith. And if that's you, just check the box that says, I accepted Jesus for the first time. Today is the day that I've accepted Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you go, I'd like a little more information and I'd like to have a conversation. We have a a thing called Explore, which can be one-on-one conversations where you can ask questions about the faith. Or maybe you are interested in Pleasant Valley and you'd like to know more. You can check the box, I'd like to go to This Is PV. It's just a breakfast and a tour. Or if you want to know more about the values and get kind of connected more deeply in the life of our church, we have a thing called Experiencing PV. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to fill those out. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to conclude with a reprise of the song that we sang earlier, and just my my encouragement to you, the hope that lives, that we've been celebrating today, lives all around the world, and we have the great privilege to bear witness to Jesus and say that the hope that we have found in Him lives, and we can do it in our neighborhoods, and we can do it in our nation. So let me pray. God, I thank you for the gospel, the good news of what you have done for us, and not what we have to do in order to get your approval. God, I thank you that uh, in Jesus Christ, you have forgiven our sins, and you have given us hope for the life to come. And we praise you, God, and we thank you that hope lives. And my prayer is this day that all of us will respond in a way where we have embraced personally this hope that you have given us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we said, amen.